And the reason we are streaming today, Bazalana, is that on Thursday when we were here for the Ascension Day, it was also Africa Day. And uh, my bishop came up to lead a prayer for the continent. And in the comments that she made, towards the end, there's something very, very prophetic that she said. I hadn't intended to preach the message I'm preaching this morning. As a result, to be honest with you, I have just stayed with just a few facts. It's much more broader than this. But I felt, at least for once, let's talk about the presence of Africa in the Bible. And because there's something very important, Bazalana, about our continent, prophetically so and otherwise, you are aware there has been the Tabombeki lectures in celebration of the Africa Day. I haven't been able to uh, watch all of them. But it's interesting all the discussions that are going on concerning our continent. Now, for those who may who are more of the born freeze and the like, you may not have had to struggle with some things that some of us have had to struggle with. One of the biggest struggles I've had growing up as a Christian in Soweto was that it appeared as though, even though I love God and I received the gospel, it appeared as though God just never thought about Africa or even about us as black people. And all the presentation that was made about the Bible, movies we saw, books we read, and even in Sunday school, you know, they, we used to have these pictures that were cut out. You remember that flannel board that you used to pluck? All the people that were presented there were all Caucasian. Even all Bible characters, when they were talked about, they didn't look like me. And it became very disturbing because it made the argument almost seem right when people said Christianity is a white man's religion. And in the 70s, when there was a huge move and awareness of who we are as a people and, and a big accession for us, to come out of oppression, there was a huge move and influence to move away even from the Bible and from God, more so that the system of apartheid was propagated in the name of God using the Bible. And yet, scholars over the years, and in the 90s we became aware that God has a special place in his word for all people groups. God loves all people. And God will never discriminate against anybody based on their ethnicity, their gender, based on their economic status. That all of us, when it comes to God, God will touch all people and Historically so, when you read the Bible, God has given all people groups opportunity to be used by him. Now, today's teaching is not meant to be an exhaustive study. 
There's a lot of things that I'm going to leave out, intentionally so. I'd love to just mention a few things if I could just whet your appetite enough for you to go and dig the truth for yourself. If nothing else, to affirm to us that God has a special place for Africa. Not in exclusion of other people, but that all people in the world have a special place in the heart of God. But we must also know the specific historical promises that God has made about our continent. Because even when you look economically, and when you study where the world is going now, it looks like something fresh and something new is happening on the African continent. This is not meant to be a political statement, but it's a statement of fact. Often we don't realize that the natural can to a large extent say a lot about the spiritual. That sometimes when things unfold in the natural, if you care to become a student of the Bible enough, you can be able to trace certain things. Somehow, in spite of the problems of our continent, there are some very good things that are going on that maybe not much is said about them. And if you can research enough and read enough and listen to people enough, there is something going on. It might not be a lot. And maybe my approach this morning is not to get down hard on the problems of Africa, nor am I saying I'm ignoring them. And the reality is that we are caught in as a continent. But to say what is there that is positive about us that we could leverage. Because you can only deal with problems well when you really know who you are. Jesus made a very powerful statement when he was preaching in his earthly ministry. He said, I know from whence I came. Which means simply, I know where I come from. And then he says, I know where I'm going. So if you really don't know what is there historically for you, where you come from and the background you have, and if you don't have a good historical understanding of who you are, it causes problems for you when you want to move forward. Because we all know that the strength of oppression anywhere in the world is to change people's history and make people forget who they are and, or distort who they are. If your oppressor writes your history for you, they can keep you in bondage by remote control. So you also have to assert yourself, even more so when it comes to God's word. Do we have a place in the Bible? Did God ever use people like us? Is God aware of us? Because in so far as I'm aware, it's mostly third world country, countries and mostly Africa that is turning its eyes to God. On this continent, when you go around and preach the, a good part of our continent, people are looking up to God. Is this a coincidence or does this have a prophetic significance? In Psalm 68 verse 31, the Bible says, Princes shall come out of Egypt, and Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Now, you'll see when you study that these names are used, Egypt and Ethiopia, and you and I regard them as speaking about specific countries exclusively. Whereas when you read the Bible, you will note that they had a reference to the continent of Africa as a whole. 
As a matter of fact, not many people, you know, when we think today, we often don't consider people in Egypt as Africans. And when you go back in history, you'll find that that was very much part of Africa as far back as history can date. See, the Bible is a multicultural book, and God is a God of all people from all backgrounds and all nations. Therefore, it is not uncommon, therefore, for people of African descent to be featured as main Bible characters. And as yet, I have yet to see any Bible character who is drawn by artists who really looks like people in Africa. Very often they have long white hair and blue eyes. They don't look like you or like me. And yet, their presence in scripture is undeniable. What this causes, it causes our faith to be distorted in more ways than one. And history gets whitewashed. And sadly, if we do not go into the Bible and make these studies, we cannot challenge these assertions. The question is, did the early Christians know and accept the presence of Africans? Were they part of what God did? Were they there in the book of Acts? When Jesus ministered, were there any people from our continent? And so a study of the Bible and church history reveals that Africa and its people have been referred to as early as the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, Ethiopia is mentioned 45 times in the Bible. And you add to this number Egypt, which is mentioned, and Africa is mentioned more than any other land mass in the Bible. Also note that the Middle East, including the Holy Land, was connected to Africa until 1859, when the Suez Canal was completed. And it was, has been referred to as Northeast Africa to the majority of modern history. So it's common knowledge that even now you would know that some of the oldest churches are found on the African continent. Some of you have heard, we've all heard, about the sad thing that happened in Egypt recently where ISIS, uh, they actually massacred 29 Christians from the Coptic church. The Coptic church is one of the oldest churches known in history. So it's important for us to know that the, even the coming of Christianity or the move of God is not something that started with colonization. That God has been on this continent from many years ago. So I want us to look at just a few selected places, people, and certain similarities that are there between the Bible and Africa. As I said, this is not meant to be an exhaustive study, but just to give you enough appetite. Number one, a place called the Garden of Eden, many people may not realize that it, you cannot trace it anywhere but to the African continent. See, I can see from your response you don't believe it. The Garden of Eden is described in Genesis having been near four river systems in the region of the lands of Cush, Havilah, Ashur, which today are near the borders of eastern Sudan, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. For that reason, the birthplace of humanity truly happened on the African continent. This is not a racist statement. This is a statement of fact. It's a statement of fact. <laughs> Well, some of you who are really going for it, I like this brother this side. I just like it. Just touch the people next to you and give them that anointing. I just love that. 
In fact, even to date, the birthplace of humanity and the oldest human remains so far has been traced to the African continent. In fact, in 1974, some of those remains were found in Ethiopia, but we know in later years, there's been other remains that have been found, but the oldest of them. So the Bible and science are not at odds with one another about the birthplace of humanity. In fact, when you read further in the Bible, you'll find that many of the Hebrew patriarchs like Abram, they married and they had children with African people. Abraham had children with a woman by the name of Hagar, who was African. Keturah, who was African. And both came from the Hamitic tribe, which is African. Moses married Zipporah, who was Ethiopian. Jacob had children with two handmaidens from the African tribes, and three children became the patriarchs of the two tribes of Israel. So, you know, of the tribes of Israel, there were people there of African descent. So this is important. When you read in Genesis chapter 10, if you can go there with me. Are you all okay? All right. In Genesis 10, the Bible actually gives us what many theologians call the birthplace of many people from many nations. It's almost a description of where all nations of the world emanated from in a way. And so we read Genesis 10, verse 6 and 7. It says, the sons of Ham... Who was African? Were Cush, who's African? Mizraim. And I don't know how many of you know that the name Mizraim in the Old Testament was used to refer to Egypt. Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havila, Sapta, Rama, Sapteka. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Deden. You find that all in Genesis 10 6 to 7. So it's important for us to note that this information that was given in Genesis is also repeated in the book of Chronicles, right through. Note, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 8 to verse 16. We're going to be reading a lot of scriptures this morning. Verse 8 says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Sheba, Havilah, Sapta, Rama, Saptika. The sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now note, Cush begat, begot Nimrod. We're going to talk about Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Mizraim begot Ludim, Anamin, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, verse 12, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and the Kaphtorim. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn and Heth, verse 14, the Jebusite, the Amorites, the Gigashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Avatite, the Zamarite, the Hamathite, and the Gracerite. <laughs> when you read the Waycliffe Bible commentary, it provides some, some uh, uh, insight into the identities of these people. We can't go through all of them. Ham was the father of the one branch of the Gentiles. Gentiles, including the Egyptians, Ethiopians, the Abyssinians, and the kindred group. His son Canaan became the father of the group called the Canaanites, which became the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Later, they were dispossessed by the Hebrews, the Mizraim, and so on. 
And so it appears as though the children of Ham settled in the lands of Africa and the Middle East. And it's amazing how Middle Eastern people and African people, we count ourselves as different people today. So it's also interesting to note that Mizraim refers to the Egyptians. And the Bible refers to Egyptians very often. And that's important. Ethiopians, which is a term that, you know, doesn't necessarily exclusively mean the people of Ethiopia, but it, it refers to certain people of African ethnicity. They are mentioned throughout the Old Testament. Note, in Daniel 11.43, if you want to read with me, Daniel 11.43, it says, He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So it's important for us to note that Africa has always been, or it was at one point, a good place and a rich place as it is today. Don't forget, by the way, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they went to the people in Egypt to ask them to give them things for their journey. And they were given a lot of stuff. So Africa has always had people who have a lot of stuff and who are very generous, by the way. Now, we read about one famous person in the Old Testament who is referred to as Ethiopian, and this is, we'll talk about her later, but let me mention her, is the Queen of Sheba. Okay. So the Queen of Sheba was African. And remember, it is the one that Solomon, the, the, the king of great wisdom, wanted to have audience with. In fact, when she heard about the wisdom of Solomon, she traveled all the way to go and see Solomon. Now, you've got to understand how people traveled those days. They traveled in what they call caravans. Not caravans. No. These caravans were a group of people who came on the journey with you. And those years, I mean, they used to travel uh, by cart, on donkey's back, or whatever mode of transport they had. And she, she, she traveled for a very long time looking for Solomon. Now, you've got to understand something. You've got to come to some conclusion. This woman must have been somebody of great means. To travel with a huge entourage of people, feeding them for almost, is it three years or so. You must have been a mad person of great means. And for her to have interest in the wisdom of Solomon, you know, uh, she, she, she must have been somebody whose heart was tender towards God. So we'll come back to her a, a, a bit. But you see, the Bible shows us about her, when you read about her story, maybe if I can read it in 1 Kings chapter 10, as I said, I want to come back to it. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 10. We want to read from verse 1. Bless the Lord. Verse 1 says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices. See this lady from Africa? So we've always had strong women in Africa. Yeah. Women of great means in Africa. Yeah. Huh? Look at this lady. She bore spices, very much gold, hmm? precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, 
the house that he had built, the food on his table, the sitting of his servants, the service of his waiters, their apparel, his cabbers, his entryway by which he went into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in it. In other words, she was just blown away. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words of your wisdom. From Jerusalem all the way to Africa. However, I didn't believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of it wasn't even told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are you men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. She knew about the Lord God. It wasn't a new thing. Blessed be the Lord God who delights in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Now note, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Hey! This woman gives to somebody who is a billionaire. But she is still generous enough to give her, not just a little bit, but 20 talents of gold, spices, in great quantity and precious stone. There never again kept such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to the king of Solomon. Why? Because African people are generous people. People can understand why is it that even when we are in poverty-stricken places, we can build places like this. It doesn't make sense because I'm looking at generous people. What do you say in the house? Even Jesus in Matthew 12, 42 and Luke eleven thirty one, 31, he indicated and talked about the queen of Sheba. Let me read it for you. Can I have it up on the screen? Matthew 12, 42. I don't have it up here on my notes. Matthew 12, 42. Please, if I could have that up on the screen. I want to read it for you. Is it coming? Matthew 12. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater one than Solomon is here. Jesus came to his own people who had the front row seats. They didn't receive what Jesus said. And Jesus says, Luna, you have a front row seat, Mara, you are not receiving. But somebody comes from Africa all the way and travels all the way to Solomon to come and receive the wisdom. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And you can read that as well in the book of Luke chapter 11. And so the Old Testament then records that Egypt was a wealthy area. And that the children of Israel had many dealings with it and had many things that came from there. So, you read as well, very interesting. This is a very interesting one. If you could have it up on the screen. In Jeremiah 39 from verse 16 to verse 18. Jeremiah 39 verse 16 and verse to verse 18. A man by the name of Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech. This is a time when Jeremiah's life was in danger. And this guy whom the Bible describes as a Cushite stepped in. It says, go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. Or as some translation says, the Cushite. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring my word upon this city for evil and not for good. 
And they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. Keep going, please, until verse 13. But I will deliver thee in that day, says the Lord. And thou shalt not be given into the hand of the man whom you are afraid. Him whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you. And you will fall by the sword, but your life shall be for a prey unto thee. Because that has put that trust in me, says the Lord. Keep going. Buffett, bless them. We'll leave them there. Nonetheless, so God is speaking to his servant here. And he's saying, and he is saying to Jeremiah, there is someone who's going to come in and deliver you. When you read, you find that this man who was of African descent is the one who came to the rescue of Jeremiah's life. He was not an Israelite, but it was a man from Africa who came to the rescue of Jeremiah. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? So it's, not, it's an African and not an ethnic Israelite that stood up first for God's prophet Jeremiah. This African man was wise and discerning. Why? Because even as you look at it today, as much as it seems like many nations of the world are walking away from God, African people are holding on to God. We are willing to stand up for what is right. Let me show you some similarities between Christianity and the African belief system. Or similarities between what the Bible talks about and our African belief system. Some of the strokes of concepts that are very interesting that run between these two. Number one, the concept of God as the creator of the world. We believe on our continent that God is the supreme being. And that he is the creator of all human beings. And this supreme being is the almighty God. In our belief, we believe that he is distant from human beings. You cannot approach them by your, him by yourself. And this is why it's highly unlikely, and it does happen, of course, but you will not find as many people who call themselves atheists on our continent. We may call God by different names, but we still acknowledge that he is God and he is their creator. The second concept is that of the presence of evil. In many cultures of the world, they do not believe in the presence of evil. In fact, even the appearance of supernatural beings is not believed. We believe in the presence of evil as Africans. And we say, actually, humans are often the battleground between evil and good forces. And we also believe that humans can call up evil forces to punish or persecute some people, wrongdoers or enemies. Number three, the belief in the unseen realm. You know, as Africans, much as people may want to say that we are rather too spaced out or whatever, but we believe in the unseen world. In our beliefs, there's no, actually, you know, we believe that the, the sin world and the sin world coexist. In the same way as Christians, we believe in the unseen world. And so, we believe there's a God who's an unseen world. We believe in dreams, vision, trances. We believe in supernatural beings. That's what we believe in. What about communication between the sin and the unseen world? Regardless of what we call it, okay? But we believe. We believe that you can talk to the other world and communicate with the other world. And this form can take many forms. As believers, we believe in prayers. We believe in worship. 
We believe that our mediator is Jesus Christ. When you read the Bible, it's amazing. And this, I had a long discussion with Pastor Dick about this. I was shocked when he said this because I never realized it. When you look at the way Jesus taught, even the Lord's prayer itself, it had such a tint or a touch of people living in community. The Lord's prayer was never an individualistic prayer. And when you look at Africans, we don't even want to talk in singular. We love to talk in plural. Because we are emphasizing the communal nature of our culture. Jesus, when he taught about prayer, and somebody even went further. You know, people really like to go further and say he was affected by the African teachings. Because remember, when Pharaoh was looking for him, his parents ran and they went to Egypt with him. So they believe that maybe for the little time he spent in Africa, he was taught about the African, I don't know, but some people really like to push this thing. But nonetheless, when Jesus taught us to pray, in his prayer, when he taught us to pray, he never said, pray, my father. He says, pray this way, our father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, not my bread. Our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And when you read the Bible and you note how God intertwines the treatment of another to our relationship with him. How when Jesus taught that if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember Unali issue somebody, instead of just running to God, go reconcile. Because it's our belief that our worship of God and our recognition of God, you cannot pray to God who doesn't whom you don't see and tell, tell that you love God that you don't see when you are mistreating a person that you can see. No wonder the African way of greeting when we say Saubona. I'm just saying, I've just appeared. I wasn't with you yesterday. I don't know where you are. I'm just aware of your presence. I'm aware you are here. I don't just walk past you like it's done in other cultures and treat you like you don't exist. Look at your neighbor and say, Salvona. Yeah, look at the other neighbor and say, Dimacheloni. Look at the other one and say, Abshedi. Look at the other one and say, Botani Mawetu. Look at the other one and say, Rialocha. Look at the other one and say, Dumela. Look at that and say, hola, 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 hola. But the emphasis in the Bible of how you treat the other, which is coined, as we know, in our political era, that an injury to one is an injury to all. That is so true. And that if I was to do something as an African, sometimes I would stop Doing it simply because I'm considering the other person, even if what I'm doing is good to me. What about the belief in covenant? African belief, we believe in covenants. And these covenants were cut and they were made, and this is the context in which the Bible was written. Let's look at some characters that are mentioned in the Bible. Are you all here today? Are you all, here? Are you all still here today? Let me show you just some Bible characters who are of African descent. Number one, we talked about Keturah. Keturah. In Genesis 25, verse 1 and 2. Okay, some of them I won't give you the verses, all right? Or I won't read the verses, but I'll mention them. You remember Abraham really struggled to have children with his wife, Sarah. You remember, eh? 
He did get children with Hagar. It was one child, Ishmael. And he worked very hard to get another child with his wife, Sarah, just one child. But then he married this African lady. No insinuation now, guys. No insinuation. I don't know what this woman did to this man. I don't know. This brother came alive when he married this lady. I don't know what happened to him. No, we're from experience, some of us, you see. She was so good to him. Gracious woman, a woman of great honor and poise and a great world. Just a woman who was great and treated this guy so well. That it says in Genesis 25, verse 1 and 2, Abraham take, has taken another wife named Keturah, and she bore him. Note, and note, Bazalan, he is even older at this time. Oh, Bible like that. I mean, when he, was, when he was much younger, he only got one and one. He's much older. He's the other side of 100. And he meets this woman from Africa. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuash. What a shock. What a shock, Bazalwad. What an aftershock. But isn't it strange that when we think about Abraham and his descendants, we never think about Africans. When God said, I'll make you the father of many nations. Yeah. It wasn't just spiritual. God meant it to. Secondly, we've talked about the queen of Sheba. I'm not going to go back to her. But we are told that this woman, her fame was such that even 2,000 years after her death, she was still spoken about. So much was written about her because she was such a strong, successful, powerful woman. Number three, Zipporah. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, married an Ethiopian woman. We don't talk about that. By the way, when he left Egypt, he went to Midian, which happens to be in Africa. And it says when he came to Midian, he met there this man who was the priest of Midian. Priest. Kanjan. So it means already in Midian, in Africa, people already had a relationship with God. You already had priests who were ministering in the presence of God. Christianity didn't come with colonialism. Or should I say, we didn't know God through colonialism. And it was this prince of Midian who taught Moses about administration. Don't tell me that Africans cannot administrate. It was Jethro who said to Moses, Moses born, and I have been watching you. You are a leader of these people. And you are standing from night and day. This is Genesis 18, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. He says, I can see you. You are standing from morning until evening trying to judge the people. He says, this thing that you're doing is too hard for you. You cannot do it alone. He says, choose for yourself, able men. And then he starts talking about their qualifications, men who fear God, who hate evil. And then he starts talking about delegation, make them to be rulers of hundreds and thousands. And that's an African. And he says, and Moses listened to his father-in-law. 
It's important for us to say this because when we talk about leadership, when we talk about administration, you may have an impression from the way certain people talk that African people don't have those capabilities. But I see you. You are so organized. I just see your hairstyle. It is so organized. Just look at their hairstyle. It is so organized. But my goodness, there are many institutions led by African people, very organized. Hey, I want to say other things, but I'll say them another day. Let me leave it right here. And so Zipporah, who became the wife of Moses, was of African descent. And it's funny that in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, Moses' elder sister spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman. That even back then, racism existed. People had problems with cross-cultural marriages as we see today. But Moses' very sister felt, you can't marry this African. What about Pharaoh? Pharaoh was African people, much as there may be other things. He was from the line of kings that predated any nation of Europe. There are known pharaohs, and the name pharaoh simply means sun kings. They ruled over the land of Ham and Egypt. You find that in Psalms 105 verse 27. And so pharaoh ruled, and as you know, even today when we talk about the pyramids in Egypt, even modern technology cannot reproduce those pyramids. Talk about engineers, engineering of the highest kind, architecture. It's always been there on the continent. What about Ham? And I want to dispel a myth. I was told as a young Christian that because Ham is known to have been an African and migrated to Africa or lived in Africa, that this is the reason why, in inverted commas, Africa is cursed because Ham was cursed, some people say. Question is, was Ham cursed? I'm going to read it with you. Who was Ham? He was one of the three sons of Noah. And before they are anywhere, remember, he helped Noah build the ark. Ham's second son inherited land in Egypt upon Ham's death. But question is, was he cursed? Let's go to Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis 9, verse 1, before you go down with where Ham seems to have been cursed, if you can all go with me to Genesis chapter 1, it will really be helpful. It starts by saying, and God blessed Noah. Read it with me. It says, and God, say it again. Say it again. And, 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 and. All right, I want to build a case here. I want to build a case here. And God blessed Noah and and said unto them, what did he say? What did he say? Who were the sons of Noah? Ham, right? Shem and and Japheth. Look at your neighbor who didn't answer and say, who he? Who he? So we have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, these are the three sons. In fact, 
Some uh, historians, they trace all these people to all people groups in the world. I don't want to go there. All right. But then, note verse 18. I want to read there all the way down to verse uh, 22. Go to verse 18, please. Genesis 9. Verse 18, and just keep scrolling. And your, your verses mustn't run out like they did last time. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Did you see that? Ham is what? Let's go. And the sons of Noah that... These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. Keep going. And Noah began to be a husbandman or to be a farmer. Give me another translation. So Noah now, he has built, a, he has built an ark. All right, he's come out of the ark. Everything is all right. So he starts farming. Yeah, he began farming. That's the better word. And planted a vineyard. All right, keep going. And he drank the wine and became drunk. Oh, Noah. <laughs> hey. And he uncovered himself inside his tent. Keep going. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Keep going. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, walked backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see the, their father's nakedness. Now, ah, here we go. When Noah woke up, from his wine. <laughs> I will not interpret that. <laughs> he knew what his youngest son has done to him. Now watch it now. So he said, Cursed be. Ah. Cursed be. Who was Canaan? The son of Ham. Question. Question. Why didn't he say cursed be Ham? I'll tell you why. Because we've already read that God had blessed Ham. Mamela, 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 Mamela. And we already know that when God has blessed, it cannot be revoked. Oh, come on, somebody. So God said, all right, I can't I can revoke what I placed on this guy. But I'm going to hit his child. So Ham cursed? No. African continent cursed? No. No. But you see, we've been lied unto. We've been told things to justify certain things on us. And even we ourselves, we begin to begin that lie and we begin to look at ourselves, at ourselves in a certain way. I'm here to tell you, you are not cursed. You are blessed by Jehovah God. Let's talk about Nimrod, another character. Nimrod was... Ham's grandson. And he was the first ruler of human government. When you read in Acts chapter 10 verse 10, I mean Genesis 10, 10. Let's have it up on the screen. 
Nimrod became the first king in human history and he ruled mankind. Remember, it was him who talked to people that they must build the Tower of Babel. The beginnings of the kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and, and all of and China. And it talks about that and then you go on and on. So, Nimrod Bazan, the only thing in Nimrod Ayla Ayeta wrong is that when he saw himself succeeding in building this nation, organizing people, and in being successful, is to try to get them to do a project without God's blessing. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. But the fact still remains that he was the first king of human history. He ruled mankind from the Tower of Babel after the floods of Noah. It is this man who learned hunting, knew how to get food, knew how to migrate successfully. He became great and mighty. He knew how to structure his kingdom and how to administrate his kingdom. He was a man of great wisdom. What about Hagar? You know Hagar became the concubine of Abraham. She was African. There's another person that many of you may not know, a king by the name of Tihaka or Tiraka. Tiraka is the king of Ethiopia, Mentioned in 2 Kings 19 verse 9 and Isaiah 37 verse 9. This king of Ethiopia waged war against Sennacherib during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah. What happened? Sennacherib came against the king of Judah. He came against Hezekiah. And Tiraka, king of Ethiopia, came in and drove out Sennacherib because he wanted to destroy Jerusalem and deport its, its inhabitants. But God used this African king to protect the Jews, his chosen people. And you see, African people have been used by God again and again to bring in peace and reconciliation, to protect the plan of God, or God uses them rather to be the instruments he uses. Same way, when Moses was in trouble, he ran to Africa. When Jesus was in trouble, he ran to Africa. Oh, you are not hearing what I'm saying. And we see this man of African descent doing that. Did you know that amongst the disciples of Christ, there was a Canaanite? In Matthew chapter 10 verse 4. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 10 verse 4. These, when you go back, it's talking about the disciples that Jesus chose. Then it says, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Some translation says, Simon the Canaanite. Simon was a man of African descent. He was the one apostle that Jesus chose. Why? Because remember, there was always traveling of people from Africa to Israel, to Jerusalem. There are some who went there, lived there, and stayed there. When you read the book of Acts, you'll find that on the day of Pentecost, there are people from Africa who were there, going there, who were in Jerusalem at the time to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And some of them would accept the God of the Jewish people, and they would go through the process of circumcision so they would get converted into the nation of Israel, and they would become proselytes. So this man by the name of Simon was one of the disciples of Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was going to be crucified? And as he ascended that mountain, 
to go to Golgotha and he couldn't carry the cross anymore. And when he couldn't carry the cross, they looked for a guy there, Simon of Cyrene. What is he doing there? It was Simon of Cyrene. When others wouldn't carry the cross. When others were mocking and scoffing. When others were spitting and hitting and throwing stones and throwing rocks. It was him upon whose back the cross was slammed. Forced by a Roman soldier to carry the cross of human shame. All the way to crucifixion. When the Holy Spirit moved on the day of Pentecost and in Jerusalem and it moved everywhere and all the way to Samaria. Philip went to go preach in Samaria. Preach to the Samaritans. Got them filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he, just after he finished preaching to them, the angel appeared to him and said, Arise, go towards the south. This is Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went, it says. And behold, a man of Ethiopia. A eunuch of great authority under Cades. The queen of the Ethiopians who had a charge over all that treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Oh, come on, Vazalan. And he was returning. Note, he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. The coming of scripture didn't come here with colonialism. Africans have heard it all along. Reading. Note. From Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scripture where he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So you, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. All the way back to Ethiopia. Born again. Saved by the power of God. Let me conclude. With the scripture we started with. It says princes. Shall come out of Egypt. God is about to release leadership. Great men and women from this continent. 
Only if the people of this continent can realize that Jehovah is their God just as much as anybody else. Only if the people of this continent can understand that we were never God's afterthought. We've always been there right in the center of God's will. And note the pattern. Anytime when everybody else turns their back, Africa is the one that is there to help. Moses ran to Africa. Jesus ran to Africa. And we see Africans being there always doing something. I don't think it's a coincidence that when the world is walking away from the scriptures, and I say it because I've traveled around the world, Many parts of the world, people who used to talk the gospel and preach the gospel and even send missionaries today, they are no longer believing in God, many of them. It's only in third world countries and mostly in Africa where people are doing that. There is no way a people can turn to God and put God in his rightful place without God exalting them. Because when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God will always exalt us. And God will say, princes shall come out of Egypt. I don't know who I'm looking at, but I'm looking at some princes here in this place. I'm looking at men and women whom God is going to raise. We're going to be men and women of great influence. But our influence will not come from our own wisdom. It will come from the fact that we have made God the center of our life. But then it says, Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. I know we have been known as a continent that has always been begging the West to help us. We've always run out to other people to solve our problems. But there's a prophetic promise that we have that we are going to stretch our hands to God and not to other men anymore. Yes, I do understand we will be helped, but God is raising a spirit within the Africans to say, can we do things for ourselves? And I don't know if you're aware of the discussion that is having in many other places. My bishop was actually talking about it, you know, about a program they've started, I think it's in Zimbabwe, if I'm not wrong, of many of the young people very young people who are like the, could be the age group of our born freeze here, who've gone all over the world and have studied. And instead of migrating and running away from Zimbabwe, they are going back to their own country to try and do something. I'm wondering if those young people understand the hand of God upon their lives. Come on now, give the Lord a hand if you believe that in this place. It's not a coincidence that African leaders have begun to ask the tough questions among themselves. And African leaders have begun to say, why don't we learn, find a way to solve our own problems ourselves and hold one another accountable? Is it possible that we can do something? It may be natural, but if you have an eye to see, you can see what God is about to do. Can I hear an amen in the house? Amen. Here's another thing that I like that I want to close with. Many continents of the world have become very old. My wife and I were in Spain recently. One of the things that struck us in Spain as we walked around is the, 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 you know, it's the shortage of young people. We didn't see many of them on the streets. You walk around, you see people, but not as many young people as we should see. But my goodness, Africa has an abundance of young people. In fact, the statistics are showing that of the many other continents of the world, Africa is becoming younger by the day. That more than 50% of the population in Africa is below the age of 30. I'm trying to say to you young people, maybe some of us may not have gotten it right being on the continent. Maybe we didn't lead as we should. Maybe we didn't run churches as we should. We didn't run governments as we should. We didn't run the economy as we should. We didn't take our place as we should. But could it be that maybe God has you somewhere here in the book of Psalms and God's going to anoint you and raise you up with something new. 
And that's why for some of us when we preach, I'm not only preaching to the people I'm seeing, I'm appealing to the hearts of the young people in this place in Jesus' name. And God says, Africa will lift up his hands to God. And I believe there's coming a time, Bazalana, where you're going to see more and more and more of these things. As I go around the world, you see, many of the largest churches are on the African continent. And now, business is coming, and African people, yeah, we have problems, but remember, light shines when things are dark. Remember, good vision is conceived when there are problems. As a matter of fact, a vision is simply God's given solution to a problem that is there. May God grant you vision as an African to rise above and do what God has called you to do. And when we understand this, it will make us to make a decision to say wherever I am, whichever sector I'm in, wherever I'm serving, I'm going to serve with dignity and honor. Because I know what is at stake. I know that there's a move of God that's about to hit this place. Not just in the church. It's going to hit this place in the marketplace, in the schools, in education, everywhere. Why? Because we've always been there in the plan of God. Give the Lord a big hand of praise in this house. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout. Come on, as an African, give the Lord a shout. Africa will raise his hands unto God. Africa will worship and stretch his hands unto God. And God will do a mighty thing. And so whatever God is speaking to you about concerning your life, I ask you please, don't say no. The stakes are high. And God is calling for men and women who will not do business as usual. Some of us are aware of that. That's why we try to lead the way we do. And as we move on and put God at the center of our lives, and he becomes our everything, and we turn to him with all our hearts, and please, when he blesses us, let's not turn our back from him like other nations have. When he starts prospering us, let's not worship the things in the place of the giver of the things. Let's not have other idols. And by that I mean, let's not worship what God gives us in the place of him. He's a mighty God and he's a worthy God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that's within me. He has done great things. Can I hear an amen? Bless the Lord.